as we come here this morning, as we have sung and as we have prayed, and we turn to you, we turn our lives to you, our attention to you, the prodigal saving, the body raising, the powerful name of Jesus. There's something profound and powerful and mysterious about the name of Jesus. We need you, Lord. And so we pray that you would speak to us now through you, the scriptures, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus, your name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Reese and the worship team for leading us and tuning our, our attention and our hearts this morning. Thank you, uh, Ainsley and Hanukkah as well. Uh, I feel like I need to introduce myself again. I've been away for a few weeks. Gary is my name. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's good to uh, spend some uh, time with family as we did, and we did some camping. But I also realize um, that it's good to be with you. And, and I feel that, and I sense that. And um, I'm just very grateful uh, to be back and to see, uh, see you all. And, and we look forward to meeting some of you that are joining us by live stream as well. Um, have you ever been lost? Has that ever happened to you? We've, uh, we've been here just a little over a year. And last year when we moved here in the summertime, I was doing some running. Uh, I, I, I like to run, and it was pretty easy for me to get turned around. Um, streets aren't straight, and they don't necessarily connect with other streets sometimes. And so uh, if you, you know, maybe you've been hiking or biking, maybe even driving, guys, um, and you've been lost. And it's kind of a weird feeling. And if you're alone when it happens, it's almost a little scary. And the longer it goes, the longer you feel lost, the worse it seems to get. And we all of a sudden a bit of desperation creeps in, and maybe at some point desperation turns into despair, and then somewhere in between there maybe we ask for directions. But the same is the case, it's very similar when we experience uh, suffering and pain. It can be very similar. In fact, when we're in the midst of pain or suffering, we can sometimes even use the phrase, I feel lost. So what can we do when we are in the dark field of suffering? That is what we're going to look at this morning is led by James in the book of James. Later on, I will pause for a time of Q&R. I anticipate that there will be questions that you will have as I press into this subject, as we hear from James. And so I invite you to write those down even as I'm speaking, as questions or thoughts come to you. You can text or, or, or email them to ask at that address there, or you can stand up where you are later on and we'll bring a microphone to you. James writes quite a bit in this five chapters of this small book. He writes quite a bit about the subject of suffering. And this morning, we're going to turn to James chapter 5 
And I'm going to, the, the primary section it starts at verse 7, but the immediate context for his addressing this to his listeners is in these first few ch- verses of chapter 5. So I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. This is a castigation against the wealthy people that he is speaking to and addressing in the first century. A castigation against the rich people who have stored up treasures, have stored up clothes, have stored up wealth and material goods to such a point that they're not using all their clothes, they're not using all their wealth. It's actually deteriorating. But what's more is it's a castigation against the rich and and advocating for those who are hard done by because those with the wealth and the means have been oppressing the other people and defrauding them. And so his address is to people that have suffered under this kind of an approach. And it's a multifaceted suffering. Uh, surely the people that have suffered under this oppression and this greed and this uh, uh, piling up of resources, certainly they have suffered financially. Uh, they have been defrauded of their income. But when we suffer and when there is pain, it is a suffering that is uh, holistic. We experience suffering in the complete sense of what we are as human beings. You have seen me use this diagram before, what makes us human. And so suffering is, there's a, a psychological, emotional, cognitive, mental suffering. There's a biological or physical suffering. There is a social or relational aspect to who we are. And there's a suffering that goes on there. And then completely as part of this is this spiritual. So it isn't just a singularity. It is a complete suffering. This is who we are as human beings. And this is what James is identifying here in his, to his hearers. And the tendency, as he espouses here, as he challenges here, the tendency for human beings, when there is difficulty or a challenge or things aren't certain or sure, the challenge for human beings is to take matters into our own hands. That's how you land up with defrauding workers and oppressing is human beings tend to take matters into their own hands. And it's especially true of people who are affluent. People who have the means. People of privilege. Well, they can certainly take matters into their own hands. No wonder Jesus said it is difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, they can arrange their own accommodations. 
No wonder Jesus says that it is impossible to serve the Lord and to serve your own material wealth. Because it can skew our focus and our values. And that is what James is highlighting as he begins to speak about the matters of pain and suffering. And by the way, it is understood that the author of this book is the brother of Jesus. I can't imagine what it was like to be the brother of Jesus. A sibling who was very literally perfect. I mean, that alone would be just like so impossible. And if that weren't enough, to have him crucified. So James comes to this subject legitimately. What can we do when we are in the dark field of suffering? The problem of pain and suffering is an existential one. It is a reality for all of us. Financial, perhaps. Health. People suffer in different ways, as we've described in that that picture. Uh, Different health, mental health, emotional, physical health, relational health, spiritual health. A family member who is not following the Lord. A family member who doesn't want to speak to you. A loss of a loved one. The realities of pain and suffering. And it causes stress. We lose sleep. We have suicidal thoughts. And we can experience what we would say is a sense of the absence of God. An absence of God because it seems like he is silent. He's not speaking or it seems like he's not active. He's not involved. Or maybe we wonder in the midst, in the darkness of the field of pain and suffering, if he exists at all. And personal disclosure here. The Lord has been preaching, as he so often does, has been preaching this to me long before I stand here this morning and share this with you. The last year has been very difficult for our family and for our daughters. The last six months has been extremely difficult. COVID, etc. And so I have found myself in this field. It's why it's, I'm able to describe it. The problem of pain and suffering, um, philosopher, religious philosopher, scholar, professor Alvin Plantinga puts the problem most neatly, he puts it this way. If you could put that slide up, he says, here's the problem. God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful. God is wholly good, God is loving, and pain and suffering exist. 
And how do we resolve, how do we deal with that? It seems, are those statements ultimately contradictory? How do we resolve that? Because we're experiencing that, and yet we have what we call our faith in that. There are a few theological approaches to this problem of pain and suffering to uh, address this uh, uh, conundrum. There's a few theological approaches that I want to identify, highlight for you this morning. I can only do this briefly. The first is called openness. The uh, idea behind this theological approach is in the name. That is that God is open to human beings. That he has created us with libertarian free will. And so humans are free to do and act a certain way. And God is open and adjusts and works with the actions of human beings. He is all-powerful and uh, all-loving, but human beings make choices and sometimes not great choices. I use the example of fire here. So the Lord has created our ability to make fire, literally fire. That fire can be used for good things like light and heat, but it can also be used for things like weapons and destruction. Another theological approach to this problem of pain and suffering is the curse of sin. That through human choice and in cooperation with uh, the devil, sin entered into God's temple, his creation. And so the earth that we are in now is, is broken and it's uh, disrupted and the Lord is working to redeem it. But the reality is that sin and corruption is a part of this broken world that we're in. The curse of sin. Another theological approach is Satan and his cohorts. Fallen angels led by Satan. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere present. But he and a bunch of fallen angels and the other theological approach to this problem of pain and suffering is that they are prowling around, as Peter describes in the New Testament. They're prowling around like lion and they're poking and prodding and leading and trying to destroy and disrupt. And there's this conflict between what he is doing on earth and what an all-powerful, all-loving God is doing as well. The fourth is moral and natural law. That God has established this earth and fine-tuned it. That the universe and all is finely tuned for our life and existence and so on. And it is so finely tuned that it includes moral and natural laws that the Lord has chosen, our Creator has chosen not to circumvent. So that means that He will not circumvent uh, moral or natural laws that have to do with germs or disease or stray bullets. And these natural and moral laws, these natural laws uh, uh, fall on both the good and the not so good, the sinner, the righteous, and all those in between. And then the final one, just to touch on, the fifth theological approach to this problem of pain and suffering is compatibilism, it's called. And that is that there is a compatibility between a God who is all-powerful and all-good and loving and pain and suffering. And as we read in Scripture, there seems to be times when uh, the Scripture writers ascribe certain things to the Lord that He will use the poor choices that humans make, like the brothers of Joseph. Joseph says, you have wanted to harm me, but the Lord has chosen good. And so there's this ability for God to, to work with these horrible things that are going on. 
And sometimes there's an explanation in Scripture, and sometimes there isn't an explanation in Scripture. And in this compatible mode, we understand that there is, in fact, this mystery. One of the challenges is that we are encouraged, I, I encourage you, I implore you, is to not mistake a lack of complete comprehensive explanation with the lack of God who is all-powerful and all-loving. John Hicks writes in one of his books, the failure for our understanding of God or theism to fully explain all the mysteries and fully explain everything about pain and suffering is part of the case for an all-knowing, complex creator God. So we have pain and suffering. And we too are human nature as it was in the first century in the 21st century is to cope or to overreach or to take matters into our own hands. It would be interesting for me to do research into how much for example, now don't get all up in arms, but how much uh, the med medical medication industry has been growing. I mean, just walk into a, a, how much is over the counter. Because at the first sign of pain and suffering, I'm, I'm not against medication. I'm a full supporter of it. So what then are followers of Jesus invited to do in the field of suffering? James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, my beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of of the Lord is near. Be patient. He says beloved, and he has used that term many times. Friends, loved ones. And I believe that he is addressing both the rich and affluent who have been oppressing, and especially those who have been oppressed and are suffering. I believe he is, his love extends to all like Christ does. And he says, beloved. And he says to be patient. Patient meaning internal and external control under extremely difficult circumstances. Actually, the Greek word paints a picture of to be seated. Remain seated. Be patient. S stay seated. Don't jump emotionally. And wait with an expectation that something is going to happen. Verse 9. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. 
As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Endure, as opposed to grumble. Remain firm. Hold your ground. Endurance is the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. So be patient and endure can sound trite. It sounds pithy. It sounds thin. It sounds easier said than done when I'm in the field of suffering. Except that James gives a reason, an explanation for it. And he roots and grounds the call for patience and endurance in two things. He roots and grounds this invitation to patience and endurance in God's character and His providence, the way He works in the world. He roots this in God's providence. He says, the coming of the Lord. God's involvement in our lives. And in God's character, He is compassionate and merciful. And He's invoking the memory, the recall of the hearers in the first century. And He's saying, remember this. Remember this. Recall this. Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is forgiving and gives eternal life. He keeps his promises and he maintains his relationships. And he says, strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord is taking matters into his hands. Strengthen. Sterizo is the Greek word. Sterizo. Your hearts. Cardea. It means your internal being. Not the organ, but our internal beings. So this field, this dark field of suffering as James is describing it, is he is reframing it and describing it like an internal workout, like an external going to the gym builds muscle. This field of suffering and pain and suffering will also build internally, build muscle internally, strength internally, our faith as we resist and we recall. It is for sure a character and faith workout. When you are in this field of pain and suffering, it is a faith and character workout. And what James is inviting his listeners and all of us subsequently is to exercise our memory, to use memory to steady our souls. It is effortful. It is selective. You're engaging our selective attention to recall God's providence and His character. 
And this, my friends, is faith in the field of suffering. So we have decisions to make. A decision about God's character. We can look at, Scripture tells us that if we want to know what God our Creator is like, we look at Jesus. Jesus shows us what God is like, and more particularly, at the cross of Jesus Christ. Christocentric cruciform, shaped by the cross, that is what God is like. So we have decisions to make, and the first is we decide about the character of God. Is God the one who is killing? Is God the one who killed Jesus? Is, is God that kind of a God? Or if we look to Jesus, is God concerned with the widow and the orphan and the marginalized and the child and the one that is hard done by? Is God the one who is willing to enter into this world when the time was such a time? Was he concerned? Did he enter into sorrow when he lost his friend? Did he experience suffering? Was he called by the prophet Isaiah the suffering servant? The character of God. It's a decision we need to make. We also have a decision to make about God's action, his providence in the world. Is he aloof? Is he in actuality, absent and intending to remain absent? Or is he, as James says, coming, the coming of the Lord? And when he says the coming of the Lord, he says it twice. And I believe that he is meaning it in two parts. The coming of the Lord. The first is his imminent involvement in our lives in a very real and practical way. When Adam and Eve, walking with the Lord in this picturesque, beautiful, no sin had yet entered in, time with the Lord, when God was walking with them, and they chose to listen to Satan and chose to go their own way, and they had done and made that choice, what does God do? But he comes, he enters, and he looks for them, and he walks over to try and find them, and he says, where are you and what's going on? And he sends prophets, as James reminds us. He sends prophets to speak his words because he cares and he loves. And even though people keep going their own way and they keep overreaching and they keep trying to take matters into their own hands, he sends prophets because he cares and he's coming. The coming of the Lord. He sends prophets and laws. And when the Israelites had gotten themselves into a heap of trouble in Egypt, what does he do? But he sends people because he, that is the coming of the Lord. And in the Exodus, he retrieves them and he brings them out and then finally when the time was right he sent his son his one and only son God so loved the world the people that he sent his only son it's the coming of the Lord and then when Jesus was leaving he said you know greater things are yet to come when I leave because I will send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will be with you will lead you and guide you and help you it's the coming of the Lord So we have a decision to make not only about the character of God but the providence of God and when we feel his absence Know that He is near, and He is active, and He is involved. So we also have a decision to make about our response. 
What will we do? What will we do? From where will our help come? Writes the psalmist in 121. From where will our help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. We go to the top. And we engage our memory to steady our souls. James is reframing suffering, a theology of suffering. I look and see your faces here this morning. I'm, there are more experts on suffering here than I could ever expound in so many ways. James is inviting us to use our memory to steady our souls. I want to pause for some Q&R. And then we'll continue. I'll finish, finish off here. Good Let's see morning. if you have a... Hey, Emmanuel. If, if you have a question as well, right here, you can stand where you are. And we'll get a microphone to you. Online or here, if you want to text or email, you can do that. Um, we do have some questions in the inbox here, if you're ready. The first one comes, uh, I think, along the earlier moments of your sermon here. The question is, is a retirement savings hoarding money for the last days? It, okay, good, right? A little practical there. Right. Is, is, is retirement savings hoarding money for the last days? I, I like that. That's a good it's a good question. And, and there's a level of conviction there. How are we to balance this out? You know, it's really challenging for a pastor. To, like, James preaches, right? Like, I mean, he's straight up. I mean, can you imagine just those first six verses? And he goes to town. And most of us here, I would put in the category of rich, of wealthy. On a global scale, at least. So what do we do? I once heard uh, the advice, earn as much as you can, give as much as you can, and save as much as you can. It's interesting. I believe that we need to check our hearts and our motives when it comes to how much we're putting away and for what reason. And balanced against what we are willing to to give and what we're willing to sacrifice. I think it's a very good challenge. I, I, I just anecdotally here, I, I know that there are studies on this, but in terms of generosity, it, I, I'm just going to quote this anecdotally, but I understand that people in the lowest socioeconomic strata are also the most generous. You can challenge me on that, do the research. I think, I won't quote a reference, but so I think um, we need to search and have that conversation with the Lord. We need to check our motives, and we need to also challenge uh, what we're doing in the way of, of, of our giving and sacrifice. If it's, if we're, if we're uh, uh, like Hanukkah was saying, worshiping the Lord through our finances, our financial uh, balance sheet will tell us a lot about our, our walk with the Lord, and are we even, have we even 
scratched the surface of the concept of sacrifice. Sacrifice. That's a challenge. It's a good question. All right, I'm getting, getting a rifling through here. Uh, next question is, when Christians experience sickness and suffering, are we to assume that God is testing or disciplining us, and therefore, is it His will? Okay. When Christians experience suffering, mm -hmm. um, are we to um, assume that He is testing us? Uh, just give it to me one more time. Testing or disciplining us. Testing or disciplining us, mm -hmm. and assuming that it is, and, and therefore, it is God's will. Yeah, that's really good. So when, when followers of Jesus experience pain and suffering, uh, are we supposed to uh, assume that he's testing us, disciplining us, or, and, and that this is part of his will? So in, we see many occasions in the New Testament where Jesus uh, interacted with different people. And it seems, you know, how, how, does, how does, if I were to ask you, how does Jesus heal a blind person or give them their sight? Is there one way he does it? There are two ways he does it. There's at least three different examples, three different ways that Jesus... So my point is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to our experiences of life. Another one is when uh, Jesus healed this young man, he was brought in front of the Sanhedrin and they were asking, like, is... Was it he that sinned or his parents that sinned? And in this case, Jesus said it was neither. It was to display the glory of God. So there are these times where we, we can't say, well, because you're going through this, that means it, that's the way it is for everybody. Okay, so that's the first point. This is, again, when we're asking this question about pain and suffering, it has to do with God's character. Does he cause it? Is he the first cause, the agent of it? Or can he bring fruit and vegetables and flowers out of dirt and manure? So when Joseph's brothers threw him in a pit and were close to killing him, but it didn't happen, so can the, the Lord's always working towards what is good now, when you're in that pain and suffering, are you being tested? Yes, you are absolutely being tested. You're, that's what we've just been talking about. It is a character and a faith workout. Because in the midst of that, we're having to wrestle with the character and providence of God is the, and, and, and our faith. And so it is a testing. And there is discipline as an outcome of it. So those are realities. But is God causing is the point. Uh, we got... A lot of questions coming in. Okay. Uh, what could letting God take things in his hands look like? This is a very practical question. Um, could it be talking to a therapist or going to a doctor? If I pray for help with depression, will his response come from my doctor? Okay, that's really good. Um, so what does God taking matters into his own hands look like? I want to answer that just, this is another really good question. Um, this is actually, James is dealing with this in two parts. This morning, the section that we looked at is part one. Next Sunday is part two. And it, we're going to be able to respond to that more fully next week. But here too, I believe a phrase that I have used for many years is God's prerogative. And it is God's prerogative to work in the many faceted ways that he chooses to work. 
And so God's take, God taking matters into his own hands may involve uh, another person speaking into your life. It may involve a, a trusted advisor. It may involve a counselor. God will speak to you directly and personally as well, amen, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's his will to do that. It's God's prerogative. So I would, in uh, initial response, say yes to all of that. And God has gifted people with incredible uh, abilities and gifts and intellect. And so even with matters of science that we're so thankful for that he can use that as well. But again, it is, in the first instance, it is drawing near to God. And we, I don't want to totally skirt that. Next week, part two, is where we're going to unpack that fully. Uh, what does it look like to take, for God to take matters into his hands? Next question is, why do we often run away from God and run away from other Christians when we suffer? Mm. Right? Telling the truth right there. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Why does that happen? Because that happens a lot. We, we run away from God we run away from other people. We're social. Remember that picture of human beings? That part of our makeup is social. And the, one of the there's two primary tactics that the enemy of our souls has in, our, in, in leading to our destruction. He wants us to be quiet. He wants to get us quiet. And he wants to get us isolated. We're social beings. We are meant to be together. And it's like the injured animal who wants to run and hide. And that's exactly the most horrible thing to do. And why do we do that? And we need to have a place. This needs to be a place where the people that have pain and suffering or your home or your community group or your life group or your family needs to be a safe place where no matter what, person who is experiencing and has some pain and suffering can express it. And you're a safe place where they can actually express it and, and you have empathy and you listen and they don't feel like they have to run away, that they can run too. Because right now we have a lot of running away. Westview, let's be a place where people run too. Hmm. Solid questions. Okay, we're going to take one more. And just a reminder, if anyone's watching online or if you're here and you have a question later on, feel free to email it in to askwestviewchurch.ca. Yeah. Last question is, it's easier to try and remember the prominence of God, but when we go through tragedy and loss and don't feel God's presence or hear his voice, is being still and allowing time to work things out all right? Right. Yeah. Yeah when we're, we've gone through a tragedy and we're experiencing what we would just call the absence of God. Let's just put a name on it. The tragedy of a, a person of faith because we can give it that language. And is it okay to wait? W-A-I-T. That four-letter word. Be still. Be still and know. 
right? We have underrated stillness. Parents have so jacked their kids' schedules. They are, I think we've created ADD. The technology and everything else has so invaded every single white space of our lives that there's no concept of still or wait. And when somebody does, we think it's a four-letter word. What are you doing? But the Greek word picture for patience is remain seated. Don't jump. But remain seated. People might think you're crazy. They might think you're foolish. Because in the midst of it, you're waiting for the coming of the Lord. I want to unpack part two next Sunday. We are just invited and urged to recall and resolve. Be of firm resolve. Recall God's character and His providence. And also, I have been using this phrase to steady, so I recall God's character and His providence, and then my resolve, and I will say this phrase, the devil, you can't have me. Devil, you can't have my family. Devil, you cannot have my family, my life. You cannot have my future. You can't have it. It belongs to the Lord. Isaiah 41. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. It's kind of like orienteering when you get lost. There's this thing called triangulating. You got to find two points. The point one is God's character. Point two is God's providence. And with those two points, I can find my way through. So I want to speak, as the Lord has been speaking to me, speaking to you, I know it's tough. It's an understatement. Sometimes it seems impossible. Sometimes you wonder, is there a clearing? Is it going to resolve? Is it going to end? And I will say yes to all of those things. Surely God will help you. Surely God will strengthen you. Surely God will uphold you with his righteous right hand. All of creation all of the earth make straight a highway a path for the lord jesus is coming soon call back the sinner wake up the saint let every nation shout of your fame 
Jesus is coming soon Like a bride waiting for her groom We'll be a church that's ready for you Every heart longing for our King We sing even so Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. There will be justice, all will be new. Your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus is coming soon. So call back the sinner. Wake up the saint, let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. Let's stand together. Like a bride. 